For three months now, we have journeyed through the book of Genesis, meeting Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their families. We've seen moments of great faithfulness and moments of great treachery. God has used it all to move salvation forward. Now we come to the book of Exodus. Many years have passed since the early patriarchs, and Moses is the focus of the story. I would like to review a few things that have happened in Exodus up to this point, focus on the importance of seeing, and then help us realize that sometimes in our seeing, we see the pain of those around us. When Moses was a baby, Pharaoh threatened to kill every firstborn child of the Israelites, so Moses' mother put Moses in a basket on the river and arranged for him to be found by a member of Pharaoh's household. And in this way, Moses was brought up as an Egyptian, even though he was an Israelite by birth. So he had a dual reality, which was difficult. When he was older, Moses saw an Egyptian taskmaster mistreating an Israelite. So Moses killed the Egyptian and covered his body. Days later, when he tried to break up a conflict between two Israelites, one of them asked if Moses was going to do to them what he had done to the Egyptian. Frightened that Pharaoh would learn of his crime, Moses fled to Midian in the wilderness. He arrived at a community well and found a group of shepherds harassing young women, and Moses again intervened and made sure that the women could draw water. The women went home and told their father what had happened, and the father invited Moses into his house, broke bread with him, and in the story, almost immediately, gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses as his wife, and they had a child. And interestingly, Moses named the child Gershom, which means stranger or alien, which gives you an idea of how Moses feels about his current situation. So now we come to today's story, and Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's flock and comes to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. There he sees an angel in a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. And some suggest that this angel in the bush is Michael, the archangel. Curious, Moses moves closer, and suddenly God calls to Moses from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses responds, in a word of obedience, here I am. God continues, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, linking the events of ancient time with the current time. There is continuity in God's action across time. The Lord continued, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice the verbs in this passage. God sees, God hears, God knows. God is not a passive observer, but an active participant. But the funny thing is, God did not initiate the action this time. The people did. Their cries woke him up, as it were. In the chapter before, it says, The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. 
Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. The people, by their cries, alerted God to action. So God then goes on to say to Moses, I will use you to lead the people out of Egypt. And of course, Moses feels ill-equipped for the task, but God promises to be with him and reveals his very name so the people will know that he comes from God. Notice how seeing is central to this passage. The people cried out and God saw them. Moses saw the angel in the burning bush. Moses saw that he was standing on holy ground. And God saw that Moses was the right person for the task. Physical seeing, spiritual seeing. The spiritual journey is about paying attention and recognizing the presence of God in unexpected places. At a burial service recently, I said to those gathered, this ground where we are burying your loved one is holy ground. But if there is anything we learn from sacramental living, it's that every place is filled with God's glory. If only we have eyes to see it. I believe the time we live in is holy. I believe the ground we walk on is sacred. There are many who would like us to forget about this holy reality. There are many who would like us to become so tired so discouraged, so fed up, so cynical that we give up and check out. But to do so is to forget that God made heaven and earth, that the whole creation is filled with the presence of God. Our task as spiritual beings is to see God's glory and to hear the cries of those in pain. You can't see without noticing the needs of the people. And I suggest you don't have to go to a different neighborhood to find those who are crying out. They're on your own block. They're in your own house. The elderly person who is painfully alone in five months of COVID-19. The father who is struggling with addiction. The mother who is trying to hold on to a job while helping her children learn online. The teenager who feels so disappointed by the political discourse that she really sees no hope for the future. The cries of the people are all around us, and it is comforting to know that God sees, God hears, and God knows. Like the Israelites in Egypt, we all need to be liberated from something. Our Jewish brothers and sisters rehearse the flight from Egypt every year at Passover because every generation needs to consider how they are enslaved and how they will get to the promised land with God's help. Someone out there needs your help breaking free from a Pharaoh. Whatever it is that is keeping them from a healthier and holier life. And you need something as well. One of the hallmarks of Christian community is that we learn how to give and receive in equal measure. I'd like to share a story from this week that illustrates what I'm trying to say. Stewardship season is right around the corner, and soon we will all be invited to think about how God is calling us to give a portion of our substance for the health of the church and the growth of the kingdom. 
Clergy play an important role in this process and in fact have a canonical responsibility to teach the congregation about stewardship and what it means to give sacrificially. Last Thursday, the clergy gathered with a consultant to reflect on the topic of stewardship. I've attended many such workshops and I had a pretty good idea of what I would hear. I would hear about tithing. I would hear about proportional giving. I would hear about gratitude. But the opening question of our session got my attention. Think about your own life. Did anything happen that impacted your relationship with money? Now, suddenly, this wasn't just a theoretical workshop about the benefits of stewardship. This was an invitation to consider my own story and factors that have impacted my giving. I was reminded of a financial trauma that my family experienced when I was a teenager. And I realized that this experience left me feeling nervous about not having enough or fearful of giving in a way that might make me financially vulnerable again. I shared this with my clergy colleagues and you could feel the grace and the understanding in the room. Others shared their own stories and there were tears and laughter as we recognized points of connection and commonality. As a community of faith, I think our job is to help one another escape the pharaohs of our life and head toward the promised land. Where in your life are you crying out to God? In what ways are you trapped or enslaved? Is it an unhealthy attitude? A controlling relationship? A political dogma that no longer works? As you get in touch with your pain, pay attention to the cries of those around you. Some will be close by and some will be far away. Some may even describe their pain as having a knee on their neck and not being able to breathe. God sees. God hears. God knows and even now is raising up faithful prophets to bring us safely home. There's a book written by Nan Merrill called Psalms for Praying, an invitation to wholeness. It's basically the Psalms of the Bible, but reshaped in Merrill's poetic understanding. And I would like to share her version of Psalm 17, which begins with a cry and ends with finding a home in God. And I like to imagine that Moses offered this prayer as he headed toward Egypt and prepared to free the people. Listen to my heart, O love divine, hear the cry within me. Heed my prayer from lips that would utter truth, for in you do I seek justice. Be thou my eyes that I may see with clarity. If you try my heart, if you visit me by night, if you test me, you will discover my only desire is to draw closer to you. I see the injustice and the oppression piercing the hearts of your people. Be thou my feet, that I may walk along your paths, that I may be a benevolent presence on life's highway. I call upon you knowing you will answer me, heart of my heart, incline your ear to me, Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O love divine, you walk beside me, giving me strength to face the fears that dwell within. Keep me as the apple of your eye. 
Hide me in the shadow of your wings from all that would separate me from your love. Open my heart that compassion may be my companion. Where I meet pride, humble me. Where I meet anger, calm my fears. Where I meet injustice, cause me to act in love's way. May I be as gentle as the doe, as fearless as the lion, as faithful as the dog. Arise, O heart of love. Confront all within me that is not whole. Deliver me from deadly fears and doubts. Shine your light into my darkness. May my heart receive the bounty of your love. May my children and their children walk with you in gratitude and joy. For I shall behold your face in truth. When I am fully awake, I shall dwell in the house of love and peace and joy. Amen.